Well, this is our second week into God's plan, our grad chapels. And so we have Sophia Johnston here to speak this morning. Just got it. There you go. There you go. That's it. Hi, guys. All right. So I get the honor and privilege of doing the very daunting task of sharing the word of God with you guys. And although it's terrifying, I'm really honored that I get to because it's been a very humbling experience getting to just read the word of God and submit myself to what he wants to say. And it's really scary, so I have to trust in him, which is always a really wonderful faith exercise when I come up here and I'm like, will I pass out? Will I die? No, I never do. And that reminds me that God is so faithful. So in this next slide, I'm gonna show you a bit of my family. So I used to be Sophia Kootenai. I'm not related to Haley Johnston, although we share the same last name. I read that and I was like, Johnston, Johnston. I look like I'm related to her, but I'm not. Um, but I was Sophia Kootenai. Now I'm Sophia Johnston. I married Ethan. He's right there. That's my, woo, woo, woo. I married him this last summer. Um, it's been wonderful. I met him here, kind of classic, but you know what? I'm really happy about it. Um, this is my family in the middle. All right, this is my family in the middle from, this is a picture from a few years ago. Um, that's the core seven, me and my two siblings. I got, my, oops, I meant two sisters and two brothers. Whoopsies. Uh, I got four siblings. We've got, um, the oldest is Michael, and then we got Emmett, and we got Robin, Eden, and then it's me. I'm the youngest, I'm the baby. So if I'm a brat, that's probably why. And then over here, I threw in Robin and Isaac because, you know, they got married and Isaac's my brother-in-law, and I'm kind of happy about it. So I thought, He's not in this picture, which sucks. And in the corner, Abby's there too. Abby is my best friend. And so you can see in the bottom, uh, what's that, the left? Yeah, she made the cut. She is a very wonderful friend uh, and a part of my family. Yeah, so I did the counseling program. Uh, I'm going to cut to the chase, though, because honestly, I got a lot to say. Uh, Haley did a wonderful job last week. Sorry, guys. I'm just going to zoom in here so I know what I'm saying. Haley did a wonderful job last week of giving us some context. But I'm going to jump right to the passage um, just before what I'm talking about, which is chapters 3 and 4, uh, and give you, that gives the context really nicely. Um, so this passage here is chapter 2, 23 uh, to 25 of Exodus. It says, during that long period where Moses was out of uh, Egypt, uh, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery, slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So I'm going to open my Bible. I honestly like to read my scriptures off of my laptop, but I'm just going to open the Bible. Probably end up reading it off the laptop. We'll see. But it's the same thing, you know? So Moses. What I see in Moses' life is that God's hand has been upon his life from the start. Um, the fact that he was rescued from being murdered as a little baby, the fact that he um, made mistakes, that he was a normal guy who tried to act without God for God to defend an Israelite, and he killed an Egyptian. If you guys feel kind of like you're not equipped, I think Moses was worse off than you, so be reassured. And so now he fled out of Egypt. He met his wife. He had some kids. It's been tons of years, well, for like 40. He's like, he's 40, right? Yeah, so anyways, he's in Midian as a shepherd, and yeah, he's, he's tending his father-in-law's flock. Meanwhile, Israel's back in Egypt in slavery, crying out to God. Things have gotten very bad. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 3. Um, I'm 
where Moses is tending his flock, doing his thing. And God intervenes in an incredible way. That's awesome that that's happening right now. Um, God is intervening in an incredible way. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. So now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. I have a really hard time imagining this. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, what is he seeing right now? It's such a classic picture, but it still doesn't make sense in my brain. Uh, so Moses thought, as anyone would, I'm going to go over and see what this strange sight is about. Why does this bush not burn up? Um, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And God said, do not come any closer. Take your sandals off, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I think this is biblical precedence for barefootedness while worshiping. So, yeah. Um, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So in this first section, I just see that God is so holy. Also, you can see that this is how my brain works. I bold certain parts. It makes sense to me. I hope it passed on to you. Um, but God is so personal that he would come down and meet with Moses, even while he's so holy, so mighty, that he can't go face to face with Moses. He has to appear in this imagery of God. But God is still so holy and yet so personal. So right away, that's what stands out to me. And, that, and then this is a God who hears and responds to the cries of his people. Um, and he reminds them of the, the promises that he had made, that he's going to bring them out of Egypt. And so here he is reminding them, I'm that father of your forefathers who had made that promise. And so the next section says that the Lord said, I have indeed seen, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. Um, I'll skip ahead. The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen that the way, seen the way the Israelite or the Egyptians are oppressing them. So again, here I see a God who sees, hears, and responds to the cries of His people. And so this brings us to the, the good classic call. So now go, the Lord says to Moses in three verse three. Verse 10 of chapter 3. Um, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So an incredible call. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I'm unsure of what God wants from me, I can wish that he would appear to me more visibly and audibly. I wish that he would just speak to me and be like, Sophia, this is what I want you to do. Please go do this for me. And then I'd be like, okay, God, got it. Like, I have a feeling that I would be obedient easily if God appeared to me. But here we learn that if God does appear to you and give you the signs that you all dream for, you probably will still doubt because Moses did. Um, so that brings us to the next part where Moses doubts and fears and expresses his concerns five times. And God is going to reassure him five times. So in this next uh, thing, I did a little sum summarized version of you. this. Oh, that got all wonky. Classic. Um, I'll give you the summary version of this. But in verse 11 of chapter 3, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And chapter 12, God reassures him and says, I will be with you. This will be the sign that it's I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I love that God's like, after you do all the things, 
then you'll see and look back and see that I'm the one who brought you through. Um, His second doubt, Moses says to God, okay, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what will I tell them? So just the question of God, who are you? What is your name? Like, what authority should I even do this with? And God says to him, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then he goes on this tangent, no offense, God, um, about who he is, that he will be uh, eternal, that he is a faithful God, that he reminds them again of these promises and says um, that I'm the one who's going to bring you out of Egypt and you won't leave empty-handed. Um, and then he says that, the Isra- and he also in that section says that the Israelites will listen to him. Um, and after all that, God just told him, who he is, this powerful statement, and that they will listen to him. Moses answers, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? I'm like, Moses, he just told you they were going to listen. He just told you. And then God's, God gives him three signs. Um, so first of all, he gives him the sign that he, had, he has a staff in his hand because he's a shepherd. Um, and he says, throw it to the ground, and they're acting it out. You know, They're like, he's actually doing this with God, acting it out, seeing it happen. So he throws his staff to the ground, and it turns into a snake. He jumps back, and then God says to pick it up. So he picks it up, and it turns back into his staff. And then a second sign God gives him the ability to do is he puts his uh, hand in his cloak. He takes it out. It's covered in leprosy. And then he puts it back in, takes it out, and it's all healed again. And then the third sign uh, God tells him that he'll be able to do is that he'll take water from the Nile and throw it on the ground, and it'll turn into blood. And then, yeah, that's the sign. (laughs) Kind of gross. Kind of random. But he's given (laughs) three signs, (laughs) three divine abilities. Like, he can clearly not do these things on his own. God's showing him, I'm the one who gives you the power to do the things you're doing. I will show them that it's me giving you this power. And then Moses, a bold man, but I admire his honesty. He says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you just spoken to your servant. I am slow with speech and tongue. So in essence, I'm not capable. I'm not able to do what you're telling me to do. Not since you, not before, and not since you just talked to me, God, I still can't do it, even though you just told me I could. Like, just so you know. Can't do it. And at this point, if I were God, I'd be getting a little annoyed with Moses. I would be saying, dude, I literally just gave you the abilities to do some really cool tricks. I literally told you who I am. I showed up to you and spoke to you audibly. I'd be getting annoyed. But the Lord is so gracious, so patient with Moses. And he reassures reassures him and provides for him again. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. I love this passage. That's the one that I wanted to focus on, because he's already told him to go, but he's telling him to go again after reassuring him a whole bunch of times, and reassuring him and saying, I will be the one who's giving you the words to speak, and I will teach you what to say. But you got to know Moses. He's bold yet again. And he doesn't have any excuses left. He's just honest and says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) Man, I can relate to Moses in this position. I don't know about you guys, but it's like, God, seriously? 
You're going to make me do that in front of all my peers? <laughs> Seriously? And this is pretty fair, I think. But the Lord anger, Lord's anger burned against Moses. He says, okay, I'll send you with your brother Aaron. So yeah, God's angry, and I think this is fair. I picture with anyone who I love, I think, of, I think of Abby, I think of my mom, I think of anyone who I can see the power of God working through them, but somehow they look at themselves and go, I don't think I can do it. I'm like, what? Literally, God is working through you. Don't you see it? So God is angry with Moses, but then he's still so gracious, and he said he doesn't just provide what he needs, but he provides what he wants. He goes and he lets his brother go with him to speak for him, to be the mouthpiece until Moses kind of gets the boldness to do more things on his own. Um, And he says that I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. And then after this, I read this section after, uh, we're at what, 417. And I was looking for Moses to say yes. (laughs) I was ready for the yes, Lord. But I couldn't find it. He didn't say yes, but he went. It says in verse 18, then Moses went back to Jethro. He went to his father-in-law father and asked to go back to Egypt. Um, and they took his wife and sons, and he went back to Egypt. And skipping ahead to verse nine, uh, 29, at the very end of chapter 4, says that Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the, and of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. God said they would, and so I don't know why we're surprised here. Um, And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. I love that. Moses went even though he was terrified. And I like to think that if Moses was in modern days and he had a laptop, think of him doing ministry, carrying around his laptop, he would have this sticker on his laptop. So go to the next slide. This is it says, it says, cried, but I did the thing anyway. I love this sticker. Abby has this on her laptop. It's my motto for today, honestly. Like, you should have seen me a couple hours ago, guys. Cried, but I did the thing anyways. I don't know if Moses cried, but it seemed like he was pretty stressed. He was pretty scared. And he was thinking, God, I'm terrified. How do you think that I can do this thing you're asking me to do? He voices his fears and worries, and yet God is so patient and compassionate with him. And that's the first thing I saw when I read through these chapters again, is God's grace and compassion, something I've never really picked out from these this chapters before. But God is really patient with him. Um, So yeah, God is so gracious to Moses in the midst of his self-doubt. The beginning of Moses' relationship with God is what we see here. And he starts out just being really afraid, being a really humble man who's filled with self-doubt and terrified because he's saying that he doesn't have what it takes to do that. And he's right. He doesn't. And I think that's the beauty of it. He doesn't have what it takes So maybe you guys are similar to Moses in this story. I know that I am. Maybe you're riddled with fears and doubts as God's calling you to things. And I know that God has a call and purpose on every one of your lives. The only thing that set Moses apart, stealing this from Isaac, he said this, it's so good. The only thing that set Moses apart um, from the rest of the average guys, this guy's just a lowly shepherd. He's just doing his thing. The only thing that sets him apart is God's call and his purpose upon his life. God's purpose is what qualifies Moses for his calling, and God's grace is what makes it possible for him to fulfill his calling. 
Fulfilling God's call upon your life is only possible if you're walking in an intimate relationship with God. Please do not try to walk in your calling without God. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't work for God without God. It's awful. I've tried it. It's really tiring. So as I was reading this and preparing, I thought of what Joel was saying. Everybody kept stealing my sermon the last few weeks. You know, you tune in something God's saying. I'm like, wow, everybody's saying what I want to say. But they're saying it better than me. So Joel, in Spiritual Emphasis Week, was saying, uh, talking about Lamentations in his first sermon. And I'm going to read a passage of Lamentations 3, 21 to 26. It says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who have hope in him and and to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So if you're terrified to walk in obedience to God, Wait on the Lord. It's okay to cry out for him to go with you. If you feel like you've got nothing to offer, good. You don't. I don't either. That's the joy of it. That's the beauty of it. Cry out to God and seek him. In the midst of your uncertainty and your self-doubt and your fears, look to God and be reminded that because of the Lord's great love, you are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. He is your portion and you're to wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him and who seek him, quietly waiting for him. And a key note that I wrote down from what Joel said in this first passage, or in this first message, was that God has called you for a purpose, and he will give you everything you need to do what he's asked of you. What I want for you to see, as you hopefully know by now, is that God is really gracious. He will not only reassure you and provide for you and give you exactly what you need to do what you need to do, but he's also gracious as he works in you. As I read this, I realize, I read this passage of Exodus, I realize that Moses only knows at this point that he is about to uh, talk to Pharaoh and lead them out of Egypt. And we know, hopefully, if you're in Pentateuch, shout out to Mark. Everybody gives Mark a shout out, but you have to. You're talking about the Old Testament. Go Mark Hawks. Um, as you should know from Pentateuch, is that Moses is going to do a lot more than just lead them out of Egypt. God is going to do incredible things with the nation of Israel, and Moses gets to be a part of it because he steps out in obedience. He is going to lead them out of Egypt, get frustrated a lot of times because they are so rebellious and so complaining, and he is going to help uh, set up the foundations of Israel becoming a nation and, and actually going into the land. He prepares them for that. He teaches them what God shares with him to tell them. These are the, this is the Old Testament. Some of the foundational laws that we read is because Moses was obedient and got to be a part of that and hear God's word and bring that to the people and present that to them and, and help to lead them and guide them according to what God wants. But he has no idea that he's going to do any of that. But what I also see is that looking ahead, while he's going to face some really wonderful and challenging things with the Lord for the Lord, I see that Moses um, walking with the, is walking with the Lord one day at a time. He seeks him, and he finds his grace, his guidance, his mercy. And I see that Moses is obedient, and he finds a really beautiful relationship with the Lord, one that I want. 
I really admire how he gets to go to the Lord with everything, and he has such a trust in him, such a faith in him. And it makes me think, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I don't want to say that yet. It makes me think of those older people in your church. I think of this lady at Ethan's church in Simcoe. She just comes up to you, and she's like, God's doing great things, and can't you see it? God is doing wonderful things, and he has a plan for you. And she's just filled with excitement about Jesus. And I also think of my grandparents, and I have pictures of my grandparents. That's Elena, and that's Joseph. Those are my mom's parents. And then here, this is the only picture I could find that was okay. They hate pictures of themselves, I think. This is Edith and Michael. Those are my dad's parents. Ask any of these people anything, and they will just rave about Jesus. It's almost annoying how much they talk about Jesus. My cousin Amy said, I think grandma's actually obsessed with Jesus. Like, I think she's addicted to Jesus. They are obsessed with him. You talk to grandma, she's sure she'll tell you to get married, and she will tell you she's praying for you, but she will also tell you that serving God is the greatest joy of life. She will rave about how doing missionary work was her life's joy. She loved it, getting to see what God do, did through her and what he did through um, their ministry. She just got to witness what God was doing, which I think is really cool. Because they said yes to that initial call, all of my grandparents here, I could tell you lots of stories, but I won't. Because they said yes, they don't even talk about that scary yes. They just talk about what they got to see. The spirit moving, people healed. They got to see people come to the Lord free from addiction. They just ramble and ramble about what God has done. Ask our profs. Ask anyone who's been faithfully serving the Lord. They will just rave about the wonderfulness of their relationship with God and what they got to witness. So when we say yes to the initial call, and when we seek him in that uncertainty and make a habit of running to him whenever things get hard, we learn to see him for who he is. He's Yahweh, holy and personal, mighty and wonderful. He draws near. He cares for his people. And he gives you that compassion for his people like he did for Moses. He sees and he cares for Israel and is calling Moses to be a part of what he wants to do to set them free. But all the while he works through Moses and does really incredible things alongside um, Moses, who's just a willing vessel, um, he works in Moses and he takes care of Moses. And I believe that for us too. As we obey him and seek him and do his will, he'll draw near to you and care for you. So, my hope for us is that we will be my grandparents, that we will be those people who cannot stop talking about Jesus, who just can't stop talking about how wonderful it's been to serve him. So, if you're scared and terrified like Moses was, you're in great company, but I hope that it, as you look back in the future, it's just so worth it. It's just so exciting because you've gotten to walk with God in relationship with him. So I'll breeze through this a little, but I just wanted to look forward at, um, at some examples of Moses. So in Exodus 34, 29, it says that he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So Moses' face radiated. There's so many stories of how Moses is just his time with the Lord oozed out and everyone could see that he had been with God. And it was like, whoa. That's, that's a lot. Like, he is radiating with the presence of God. Um, yeah, so I just hope that our relationships can be like that.
And so as I conclude, um, I want to look at Matthew 14, uh, 22 to 23, or nope, sorry, 22 to 33. Um, this is a story where Jesus had just done some crazy things. He'd given, you know, multiplied bread and fish, you know, like Jesus does. And after um, he dismissed that crowd, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. So the disciples are all on a boat in the middle of the lake, um, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, not Peter Lindstrom, guys. It's Peter, like Simon Peter. Okay, so Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I love this. He's like kind of terrified, but he's like, God, if it's you, tell me to come. If it's you, tell me to walk out and do this thing with you. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out down uh, down from the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Then they climbed back up on the boat, and the wind died down. Everyone on the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, you are the son of God. So maybe you're where Moses was at. Maybe you're just terrified taking that initial step. But as you doubt and as you're afraid, may peace be with you. And may you find hope in the joy of the mystery ahead. Because God's very gracious that you don't know what's ahead. He knows and you don't. And that's just wonderful because you would be way more terrified than you already are. As you doubt, (laughs) know that God is patient with you. He draws near. He's compassionate. He is gentle. And he'll give you what you need. So do the thing, even if you're crying. Step out into what God is asking you to do now and walk with God every step of the way and learn who your God is. Hear his words to you. Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. I will be with you. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Come. Follow me. And as you doubt and feel yourself sinking like Peter did because you've taken your eyes off Jesus. You're walking in something that you cannot do without him, and you take your eyes off him and look at what's around. You're like, oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? Look back to Jesus. Cry out to him and say, Lord, save me, and grab his hand. And immediately, remember, immediately he he helped Peter and said, come on, why do you have no faith? Don't you trust me yet? Why do you doubt? But hear his reassurance that he's with him. And do not try to walk for God without God. So, um, 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 yeah. <laughs> do not try to walk where God doesn't lead. And do not try to move ahead without the Lord. Cling to him and depend on him. In your self-doubt and your fear, turn that to humility and bring it to the Lord. Because the God who calls you is holy, yet compassionate and personal. The God who calls you will be with you. The God who calls you is the great I am, who is almighty, eternal, and who is incredibly faithful. The God who calls you made you. He knows what you need. He makes you able or not able. He is the one who decides whether you can or cannot do the things. And he is incredibly faithful. And the God who calls you, um, he promises to provide for you. 
He's the God of promises. He says it again and again. He made the promises, and he's going to do it. So, may the grace of the Lord be what sustains you as you walk in obedience to him. Be reassured, and as you do walk in obedience, my hope for you is that you would experience this incredible love for you as you witness the amazing things God is doing in you, through you, and all around you. I meant to call up the band again, to do Oceans again, but I forgot. So if you guys want to come up the band, sing Oceans one more time, I have time. This went so much quicker than I expected. These words of this song, I know it's an overplayed song, Oceans, back in the day, but I was listening to it as I was preparing, and I was blown away of the imagery of walking on the water, trusting in God like Peter did, and how similar that was to what Moses did, and just the connection of how often God does that throughout scriptures, and how he's doing that for you guys. So I hope that as they sing, you guys can worship, and just give this time to him, and and trust him as you go.